0: and welcome back to Life's Key 3. You know, when Jesus was living here on earth, he said some things that sounded really weird. And I can imagine that some of his disciples were sometimes embarrassed by what he said and may have felt like they needed to do some damage control with the audience. Guess what? I don't know that Jesus really meant that. Or maybe they went to jesus and said you know that is going to cost you that's not playing well with the crowds are you aware of that jesus and in the the um, section that we're going to be looking at today this is definitely one of those times how do you define a successful life if your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance you're at the right place join host stephanie smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now, let's get started. So reviewing from our last episode... We looked at one of Jesus' most famous miracles, and this was the feeding of the 5,000. And just as a reminder, in order for that miracle to take place, one person had to give up everything that he was holding on to. And not only did he give it up, but he had to watch it be broken into pieces. There's a key truth for us in that, and that sometimes in order for other people to be nourished, We're going to have to let go of what we're holding on to in our hand, and we're going to have to let God break it apart into pieces. And that can be a very, very painful process to watch. But out of that came nourishment for 5,000 people. And when they were all finished, every single one of the 12 disciples left with a basket of bread that was left over that was filled. They carried with themselves physically a reminder of Jesus' power and his love and care for people. Now, immediately after that, Jesus walks by himself up to a mountain and he's going to have a time of solitude. The disciples go down and they get into a boat and they're crossing the sea because they're headed toward the city of Capernaum. Now, The disciples, many of them, were experienced fishermen. They were used to rough seas, so they knew how to handle themselves in this situation. But they encounter a storm that has them scared and has them working really, really hard. There's a couple of insights in here. Number one is that we see that after this phenomenal success, after this great miracle, Jesus goes off by himself. You know, times of solitude are necessary to sustain a life of focus. It's not just after seasons of hardship and struggle that we might need to get away and have some solitude. It can also be after times of success that we need to get away and we need to be intentional about some solitude in our lives. Another insight is it was right after this amazing miracle that the disciples faced this incredible storm. Is that a surprise? It shouldn't be because it's often right after we've had this great success, we've seen something phenomenal happen, we've experienced a miracle that a storm is going to come, an attack is going to come something is going to happen that's going to require us to totally refocus and really battle for our safety, our well-being, and that of other people. Jesus knows that the disciples are down here battling on this rough sea. And you know what he does? He lets them battle it out. He doesn't come rushing to their aid the very first 10 minutes that, that they are encountering this battle. The scripture tells us that they were rowing for three or four miles. I mean, this was a hard, long, arduous journey that they were battling in these really rough seas. Jesus lets them battle it out. You know, sometimes God is going to let us battle through things. It's not because he's unaware or uncaring. Just because he's not present with us in the way that we can see and feel doesn't mean he's unaware. But there are times that God is going to leave us to battle something out. But eventually, Jesus shows up, and he comes walking along the water. And the disciples are initially very scared. And then when he says, hey, there's no need to be afraid. It's me, guys. Then it says that they are so happy, and they let him in the boat. You think? You think if he walks along that they're going to let him in the boat? So, of course, he gets into the boat. And it says that immediately they were on the other side. They didn't have to keep battling things the way they were, because as soon as Jesus stepped on board and basically said, okay, that's it, time's up for this storm, then they were exactly where they needed to be. God has ways of moving us from one spot to another without any effort on our own. When we just show up and are faithful, with wherever we are, and to battle as long as he calls us to battle. So they show up, and then the next day on the other side, the the people who had experienced this miraculous provision of food on the previous day, they figure out where Jesus and his disciples have gone, and they show up there too. This should not be a big surprise. And I would have to say, I think if I was there in that crowd, I would have been looking for Jesus too. Hey, that was a phenomenal feeding. I didn't have to do anything but show up. Could you just do that again, Jesus? But what's significant here is that the people show up looking for another miracle. They don't come looking for the miracle worker. They come looking for the food. They don't come looking for the source of that food. And that is so important for us to remember. Wanting God to provide for us is not wanting is not the same thing as wanting God. And so Jesus basically says to them, um, "I'm not repeating yesterday's provision." Sometimes what we get focused on is God provided for us in this er- in this area in this way. And that's how we want him to do it again. And God comes along and says, "Mm, that was yesterday's provision. It's not today's provision. Today I'm going to give you something different. So how can we test this in ourselves to know our own hearts? Are we seeking God or are we just seeking for God's provision? Because they're not the same things. Well, we can look at how the people dealt with this to give us a clue. What they eventually said to him when they recognized he wasn't just going to start doling out food again was they asked him this question what sign are you going to do that we will believe you do you get that i mean the the previous day they had seen jesus take a couple of fish and a few loaves of barley and they had they had watched him break that up and distribute that to feed 5000 people and here they are the next day going uh <clears throat> What sign are you going to do? Um, You know, it's kind of like we've forgotten what happened yesterday. We're going to ignore that provision, and we're going to come to you. So what were they doing here? Well, what they were doing was they were putting the burden on Jesus to prove himself to them rather than assuming the responsibility for themselves to decide what they were going to believe about Jesus. And that's a question that we can ask ourselves. Are we looking to say, God, what are you going to do for me? What's another sign that you're going to show me? I'm going to put the responsibility on you to show up for me, and then I'll believe? Or are we going to assume the responsibility for ourselves that says, hey, I am going to remember your previous provision for me, and out of that, I am going to choose to believe. I'm going to see what you've done for me personally. I'm going to read about what you've done throughout Scripture. And it is out of those things that I will assume a responsibility for what I believe rather than shoving it off on you. This is something that we can also use in our personal human-to-human relationships. You know, sometimes what we need to ask ourselves is Am I assuming responsibility for how I show up and, and the judgments that I am making about someone else? Or am I just putting the burden of proof on them and I'm going to make a judgment about them and then they're going to have the obligation basically to prove me right or wrong? Now, there's a difference between owning our interconnectedness and the effect that we have on people and being lazy in our thinking and being lazy in what we require of ourselves or accepting someone else's laziness about what they require of themselves. And then we end up assuming a responsibility that's not ours. And so this is something here that we can see in how Jesus handled this situation. He didn't assume a responsibility to prove to these people that he was who he said he was. He had already done enough and said enough to them by this point that they had enough to go on. He said, in effect, it's not my obligation to you to continue doing what you want, to continue dancing to your tune, to continue showing up for you in the way that you want in order to expect that you're going to believe who I say that I am. And there are times in our human relationships where we just have to draw a line and say, it's not my obligation to continue trying to show up for you in the way that you prescribe for me so that you will believe something good about me. There is a mutual responsibility that takes place in a relationship where we also have the obligation to someone else. And we also recognize that someone else has an obligation to us to say, hey, I have a responsibility for what I choose to believe and it's not just always your job to show up and prove me right or prove me wrong. Well, when people didn't get the food that they wanted, when Jesus didn't perform for them the way that they wanted, they started grumbling. They started complaining, they started whining, and they started complaining because Jesus when Jesus said, "Hey, Instead of looking for this physical bread like I passed out yesterday, I want you to look at me because I'm the bread that came down from heaven. This was not what they wanted to hear. They weren't looking to see, is is this the Messiah? What they were wanting to see is, hey, we just want food for the day. We want our immediate needs met. They weren't focused on their eternal needs. They were focused just on their immediate needs. Now, Jesus had already proven to them the day prior that he cared about their physical immediate needs, but they could have showed up the next day and maybe brought their own lunch. So Jesus begins talking about things that I have to say on the face value, when you read this, it just sounds weird. Okay, I mean, this is not the kind of thing that would go over well if you started posting this on social media today. It might go viral, but it would go viral in a very bad way or else people would just totally freak out and you could potentially lose a lot of followers because he starts talking about things like eating my flesh and drinking my blood. And if we look at that at face value, we're like, uh, Jesus, I don't think that really was a very smart thing to do. So why is he saying this to these people? Jesus expects them to do the work of deep thinking. You see, a thinking person would have immediately recognized that Jesus was using symbolism here. The Jews were well acquainted with symbolism. It was woven throughout their laws and their customs, their language, their stories. There's an expectation here that they could distinguish between what he was talking about literally and when he was using something symbolically. That was a reasonable expectation of the audience that was listening to him. They didn't want to do that. They didn't want to do the hard work of thinking about a deeper meaning. They just wanted to take his words at face value because then they were very easy to dismiss. You see, if if it's a matter of saying, what, he wants us to see his body and like literally, you know, go start drinking his blood somewhere. If they just took it at that level, then, of course, they were justified in walking away and saying, that's really gross and that's not something we're going to do and that's not right. And then they could just walk away and have no judgment. But. They had an obligation because they had the ability to recognize Jesus wasn't talking about cannibalism here. He was talking about something symbolically, and they needed to shift their thinking from this surface level thinking to this deeper way of thinking. And the bottom line was, they just didn't want to do it. They wanted to stay at this shallow way of thinking because that gave them the justification they needed to walk away from Jesus. And this is a key insight for us, not only in our relationship with Jesus, but in our relationship with one another. You see, whining, grumbling, complaining is usually evident somebody doesn't want to take responsibility for themselves. Now, there is a difference between identifying a real problem and saying, here's a problem, here's a conflict, here's a potential solution, or even, I don't have a solution, but I know where I'm going to go, and I'm going to be intentional about going to go searching for one. But when somebody just wants to whine and grumble and complain it's usually evidence they don't want to take responsibility to do hard work. And that might just be the hard work of thinking. It doesn't have to be physical hard work. It doesn't, it doesn't even have to re, um, um, carry with it any big major to-do list. It might just be the work of thinking. You see, Jesus wasn't asking those people to all get into boats and to sail back out into the sea and go fishing for the day. What he was asking them to do was the work of thinking in their mind about who he was and then about what that meant for them as individuals. So if you encounter someone who's whining and grumbling and complaining a lot, usually if you look close enough, what you're going to see is a person who does not want to take responsibility. Even if they have all kinds of protestations to the contrary, the more the whining and the grumbling and complaining goes on, it's pretty good indication there's not a whole lot of personal responsibility that's being taken. We live in a culture today that it is so easy to get by and to even, quote, do well If we're looking in terms of our immediate needs, and I don't just mean immediate for today, but I mean in terms of our life on this earth and not just thinking in terms of our eternal impact, if we just stay shallow, if we stay shallow in our thinking, if we don't require ourselves to do the deep work of thinking, to do the deep work of of learning and uh, beyond just, just face value. And so it's really important for us to, to walk away from this and to say, we have a responsibility. If we want to be a follower of Christ, really and truly, not just be saved, but to be a disciple of Christ, we must engage and be willing to do the hard work of moving from surface-level thinking to a deeper level of thought. Well, a lot of people didn't care for this discourse. And the Bible tells us that many people stopped following Jesus after this. They said, okay, that's too much for us. We didn't come. Not only did we not get the miracle and the provision that we thought we were going to get, but he's talking about all this weird stuff that we don't want to to have to really wrestle with. So we're going to leave. So here's another insight for, for you out of this today. If you speak words of truth... Especially to people who don't want to think beyond the surface, you're going to lose followers. You're going to lose people. Truth telling always comes at a cost. Let me say that again. Truth telling always comes at a cost. So after these people leave and walk away, Jesus turns to the 12 disciples that are still with him. And he asked this question, do you want to go away as well? And I'm paraphrasing that a little bit, but that's pretty much what he asked them. And Peter's the one who speaks up and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are, are the Holy One of God. So how did they come to know this? How did they move from belief to knowing? Why had other people who had heard Jesus teaching, who had seen his miracles, why had they not believed from, moved from seeing to, to believing to knowing? Because they didn't want to do the hard work. They didn't want to have to wrestle with what Jesus said they didn't want to have to think about their response to that and that if they believed that Jesus was the Messiah that was going to have a cost to them and they didn't want to wrestle with that they just wanted to live from the day to day just give us our food for today thank you very much Jesus we don't really want to have to think about tomorrow we definitely don't want to think about eternity we just want today these are people that just wanted to live in in a comfortable lifestyle rather than a pursue a meaningful life. And we can be very much at risk for, for making that decision ourselves, and that's a decision that gets made by default, not by intentionality. The way that we don't make that decision, and instead we make the decision that we're going to pursue a life of meaning instead of a, just a life of comfort, then we have to make that decision intentionally. And I don't just mean comfort in the sense of of our environment, our surroundings. I mean comfort in what we think and what we require ourselves to wrestle with and to and to and to focus on. So Peter answers this beautiful answer. Oh God, where else are we gonna go? I mean, you're the ones, you're the one who has the words of eternal life. You see, Peter was focused not just on the provision for today, but he was focused on eternity and what all of this life is really about. And Jesus points out that one of the 12 disciples is a devil. Why does he do that right now? Well, I think he wants all of them to know in the future. This is another one of those times, we've talked about this before, where Jesus says things. Not so much for the then, but because he wants his followers to be able to look back at a, at, at a future time and to say, ah, that didn't catch Jesus off guard. He knew what was coming, he fully understood that. And he wanted them to know he wasn't ever surprised by Judas' betrayal that was going to happen later. He knew all along that it was going to come. And he is making a point of that so in the future they can look back and be assured. Yeah, Jesus knew about that too, but he still went on with his ministry. The last insight I want to point out from this is if you spend enough time with Jesus and you do the hard work of examining his words and actions and your own heart, you have to have all of that there were plenty of people who spent lots of time with Jesus, and they didn't come to the same conclusion that Peter did. But if you spend enough time with Jesus, you do the hard work of examining his words. That's going to be studying the Bible, not just flipping it open and reading a verse a day, but, but reading his word, ingesting that, letting that dwell in you. And doing the work of examination of your own heart, which usually requires also the willingness to be open and transparent and live connected with enough other people who can also speak into your heart and reflect back to you what they are seeing and experiencing. You can come to the place of saying, hey, God, I'm, I'm not leaving. I'm staying because of what I know. I know this for myself. It's not something I can prove, but I know what I know, what I know, what I know. It's not just a matter of belief. It's a matter of knowing. So very rich um, chapter there in the Gospel of John, um, chapter 6. There's some hard things to read in there. And and if you just, you know, read at the surface level, there's some things there that can go kind of like, oh, that's that's just kind of weird, you know. But if you look at it beyond the surface and you look at the symbolism and you look at the meaning of those things, then it's like, ah, okay, that makes sense. And there's so many um, insights in there that we can apply, not just in our relationship with Christ, but also in our relationship with one another. Okay, my friend, if you haven't already, and if you haven't, why not? You've got to do this. You need to hop over to the website, stephaniepresents.com. You need to sign up for the high-impact newsletter. Now, if you've been listening to this um, show for a while, then you're going to go, wait a minute, that sounds a little different. And you're right, it is. Uh, That used to be called Highlights. And I just want to, I've changed that recently to High Impact because I want to emphasize to you, you have the capacity for an impact that truly is immeasurable. It's eternal. We, we've been talking about eternal focus all day today and irreplaceable. Nobody else can come along and fill your shoes. And so I want you to subscribe to that. You're going to get that in your um, email inbox every week. So I want you to uh, hop on over and, and do that and then invite somebody else. Invite them in to listen to the show, to subscribe to, to the newsletter. And let's just help share the good news that god has brought to us um uh, through his word and this is just one other way to be able to share and to give insights into his word all right my friend thank you so much and i look forward to seeing you on the next episode thank you for listening for information on speaking engagements and other resources visit the website at stephaniepresents.com remember learn yourself love God, and live connected.